So last week, uh, I talked to you a little bit about what the gospel writer Mark does. He uses what I call the Oreo effect. Uh, the Oreo cookie, two outer shells with the creamy middle, right? So what he does sometimes is he'll take an episode in the life of Jesus, and in the case of last week where uh, we are seeing the story of the barren fig tree, uh, it's recorded that Jesus is coming into town, he sees this fig tree, and he curses it because it's not bearing fruit, And then he goes in and he clears out the temple. And then the second half of the story is as he's leaving the city, he sees the tree and now it has withered. That's the Oreo effect. It's a story about a fig tree on the outer, but the creamy middle, if you will, is the story about uh, the religion that had failed the people of the day. And Jesus goes in and clears out the temple. So the story today also we might say is an Oreo effect as well. But uh, Oreo is not just a regular cookie. That creamy middle sometimes is so good that they have double stuff, okay? And uh, that's what this story is. The two stories are two blind men that are healed by Jesus. And in the middle is a double stuff of information that really is the main point. So Mark's treatment here of these two episodes of healing is quite interesting because healing the blind was a sign of messiahship. So John the Baptist, uh, the cousin of Jesus, uh, he is also the forerunner of Jesus. He was the one that was announcing that Christ had come to set up his kingdom. Well, John is arrested And he is in prison, and as people do in the midst of those type of uh, situations, they will begin to doubt. So uh, he has some messengers go out to Jesus and ask this question, are you really the one we were expecting? And behind that question is, if so, why am I sitting in prison, right? (laughs) And Jesus tells these individuals that come and ask the question in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 6, you'll find the story. He says, go back and tell John this. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. In other words, when you see these signs... These are confirmations that I am truly the one that you were expecting. So in the earthly ministry of Jesus, these miracles are pointing to who he is. But out of all the earthly miracles that Jesus performs, these divine acts of healing, there's only three that are recorded about healing the blind. One of them is in the Gospel of John healing the man that was blind from birth. And the other two are here in Mark. And they're set in the Oreo effect. So you have incident A, the man from Bethsaida, who's healed. And then uh, A2 is the healing of Bartimaeus uh, in uh, chapter 10. But in the middle, there's all kinds of information that seems to be the main point that Mark is trying to make. Now, this first miracle right here, the healing of the man that lives in this little village called Bethsaida, 
He's not healed right away. It's a two-stage healing, which is quite interesting. And it's really the only progressive healing in all of the Gospels. So I read to you the story, and the story uh, is there's this man, and he lives in this small little village. And the people bring this blind man to Jesus and said to Jesus that he wants to be healed of his infirmity, and Jesus spits in his eye. He spits in his eye, and then he says, do you see anything? And the man uh, only sees uh, people, kind of uh, blurry, sees, I, I, I see people, but they're kind of like trees. I, they're just kind of very faint. And so then he looks at the man uh, very intently, and um, he places his hands then on the man's eyes, and all of a sudden his eyes are open and he begins to see clearly. So here's the situation. Number one, blind man. The miracle's progressive. It's not instantaneous. Sometimes in the miracles, Jesus says to a lame man, get up and walk, and he gets up and walks. He heals a leper and they're instantly cleansed. This man could only partially see for a little bit. So he's blind, but now he has this kind of vague outline-ish uh, outline type of sight, right? And then he has the ability to fully see, but this miracle is kind of done in slow motion. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind, okay? That it's not instantaneous, it's something that kind of comes in slow motion. So, when this happens, Jesus does something that's very interesting. He takes this man outside the village. He doesn't heal him right on the spot, which I think is kind of interesting. And it might be suggestive that the reason that these townspeople brought this blind man to Jesus is because they're using him. They want to see Jesus do a miracle, right? Um, by this time, Jesus has done some other miracles, and so now people are enamored with this, and they want to use him for their own benefit. Jesus will not allow his dignity to be disrespected. He takes this man outside the village. He refuses to let this man become a spectacle, and he touches him. He first spits in his eye, which is a little strange. And then he touches his eye, and he is healed. It seems as though Jesus intentionally is delaying this healing for some reason. And the question we often have to ask in these situations is why? Why is this? Uh, the answer comes with that creamy middle. I'll get to that in a second. So people um, are, are, you know, beginning to catch on to the ministry of Jesus um, he has fed the 4,000 in chapter 8 of Mark. And then there's a paragraph right before this miracle. And Jesus says to the people, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisee. In other words, the teaching of the Pharisees, be careful. Uh, they are individuals that are going to kind of lead you down the wrong path. And uh, in the middle of that story... Uh, Jesus asks a question to those who are listening, in particular his 12 disciples, in verse 18, he says, do you have eyes and do not see? Do you have ears and you do not hear? You're seeing me do all these things, but 
you still don't get it. So having said that, this slow healing, it seems to be a way to check the spiritual eyesight of these people. Okay, second miracle. So in the second miracle, we're given the name of this man. His name is Bartimaeus. Um, In Hebrew, the word bar means son. So son of Timaeus. And this is a different situation. Here is this man who hears that Jesus is coming into town. And the town is Jericho. And what we find is in this town that had been destroyed, remember Jericho all the way back in the Old Testament when Joshua is leading the people into the Promised Land. Jericho is one of the cities that they are confronted uh, with the soldiers that are there. So the same, t- same village. And Bartimaeus is a blind beggar. Now, that's an interesting term that is being used here. He's a beggar. We've all run into beggars, haven't we, on the street? And most of us are a little annoyed by beggars. Some people will cross the street and walk down the other side to avoid a beggar. But that's what this individual is. And what we're told in chapter 10 is here is an individual that cries out, out of the depths, like Seneda Connor, like all of us do, like the psalmist in 130 does. He cries out of the depths of his soul. And what we find is that he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David. He's using messianic terms. Jesus, son of David. David, the king of Israel. He is someone that is recognizing him as the Messiah, basically. But what's interesting in this story is the people are telling him, shut up to this blind beggar crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up. Be quiet. Now that's an interesting juxtaposition. So we're not told the reason for this man's blindness. Don't know. But he is in a social bind because Unlike the first miracle where the people bring the blind man to Jesus, this individual is left sitting on the corner all alone. And he's crying out because he hears Jesus is coming in town and he's saying, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. He's a beggar that affects his social standing. He's an annoyance. People would just wish to kind of drive him into some other village because They're tired of him crying out and asking for help. And so they want him to remain this nameless face. Eh. They want to shun him. Um, Why? We don't know. We're not told in the text. But he is persistent. And he keeps crying out. Even after he's been told, shut up up. You know, he continues to cry out, asking for God's help and God's mercy. You have one group that wants to keep him dependent and blind. He's a person that can be shunned. He's a person that can be blamed. Uh, 
part of the blindness that might be in reference here is our own. We don't want to hear the cries of those in the midst of despair. We'd rather not hear it or see it. So here is an individual that wants to be the victim of the status quo. Here are people in society that want to just avoid this individual. But this blind beggar sees what the other people don't see. Now that's irony. He sees, metaphorically speaking, that Jesus is Messiah. And the other people, they don't. They're blind to it. So the story goes on after he cries out. And after he is told to shut up. Um, there is this statement by Jesus. Call him. Yeah, him. The one you're annoyed with. The one that you want to shun. The one that... Um, is affecting your status quo. Call him. They bring him over. And he said, have courage. It's told him. Have courage. Get up. Jesus wants to talk to you. It tells us in verse 50, he threw off his coat. He jumped up. And he ran to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't ignore him, but looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, Rabboni, or teacher, I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus tells him, your faith, your faith has saved you. Okay, so here's these two stories, right? Here's this blind beggar that sees what is needed. He wants to be made whole. Here's the rest of society around him that don't see what is needed. That society as a whole needs to be made whole. Wholeness in the text, I think, is new possibilities. And here is this man that could create a new possibility. So let's come to the creamy middle section here. So what's happening between these two episodes. Well, what we see is in chapter 8, Jesus asks, asks his disciples, he says, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, some are saying you're Elijah. Some say that you're a prophet. They come up with all these possibilities. And then Peter, you know Peter. Peter is this confident, bold type of individual. He stands up and he says, you, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, yep, you got it right, Peter. That's who I am. Now, you think that Peter sees, right? But he doesn't really see. Or at least he only sees partially. Because the next thing goes on and says several times, Jesus predicts his coming death. He says, you know, I'm going to be killed in Jerusalem. I'm going to be buried. And three days later, I'm going to be resurrected. And this occurs in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. So Mark uses it three times to talk about Jesus predicting his coming death. 
And you know what? When Peter hears that, he begins to correct Jesus. He says, no, 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 you're Messiah. Remember, I just confessed you're the Messiah. And I've got it right. I see it clearly. Uh, you're not going to die. Because, you know, my understanding of Messiah is you're going you're gonna to kick butt of all of our enemies. You're going to set up your rule here on earth. <laughs> and Peter will look at, I mean, uh, Jesus will look at Peter eye to eye. And he says, get this. How would you like this? Get thee behind me, Satan, for you don't know the things of God. (laughs) Peter sees partially, but he doesn't see whole. All right? So, also in this midsection here is a call to all the disciples. There's, and we don't have time to get into it today, but he says, if anyone is going to follow after me, He needs to pick up his cross and follow me. In other words, it's not all going to be perfume and roses. There's some tough times. And in those tough times, you're going to have to decide whether you're going to have the courage and the faith and the ability to see and continue to follow. And the emphasis on this second uh, story is... Jesus said, your faith has saved you. And then it says, immediately, Bartimaeus could see, and he began to follow Jesus on the road. He didn't go, hey, thanks, Jesus. See you later. He began to follow Jesus and learn from him. Well, one other thing in this midsection is the disciples, a couple of times, have their priorities all mixed up. And so, one question that comes up is, who's the greatest in the kingdom? On another occasion, James and John come to Jesus and said, hey, when you do come into your kingdom, Jesus, can we sit on the right and left hand side of you? They see a little, but they don't see it clearly. Because here's the deal. The disciples still were desiring greatness, possession, and power. That's why they followed Jesus in the first place. And Jesus needs to correct their thinking and heal their sight. So what does all this mean? Well, when we come to our last slide here today, I think what this is telling us is Beginning to see clearly about things is often a slow process. Sometimes we begin to get an insight into something and we see it in outline form, but we don't see it real clear. So I think what this point that's being made by Mark, using these two episodes, the Oreo effect, with this creamy middle of a call to discipleship, the argument among the disciples about who's great and who's powerful and all that, the prediction of the coming cross for Jesus, the call to pick up the cross and follow him, all of that is a way of Mark saying, you know what, you think you know about God. You think you see clearly. But the clear glimpse of who God is, 
is found in Jesus. And that's going to cost you at times to be able to say, you're going to buck against the status quo at times when you get a clearer vision of who God is. So how does that work? Well, some people, they can't see it all. Uh, Maybe they grew up without religion, or maybe they grew up in an unchurched home, or whatever the case may be. They, They can't see it all. Other people see an outline form about God, uh, but it's not real clear. They think they see, but they don't see with clarity. And finally, it begins to open up as we begin to cry out of the depths and ask God to show us who He is. That God is like Jesus. We have not always seen what God is like, but now we see clearer. That doesn't mean we see fully yet, the minute you reduce God down to an object that can be fully understood, he, she, is not God anymore, right? There's a mystery to God that will always transcend our humanity. But we do see clearer. And when we call out to God to show us mercy, we begin to get a better understanding of what God wants us to know about who he is. Well, what is that? Well, in religion, that's about status quo and power and possessions and money and all of these things. They cloud the vision of a lot of people who very sincerely want just to see a better picture of God than what has been handed down for generations, right? So I think what Mark is trying to do is help us see a little bit clearer. And I think we can summarize it like this. Most people walk through life thinking, how does God look at me? I've made mistakes. I've fallen short. I've sinned. Does he hate me? No, no. Even though we're like a blind beggar, and sometimes people help us come to God, and sometimes people want to shun us, Jesus did not come to change God's mind about you. He came to change your mind about God. So that you can see God clearer, maybe, than what's been handed to you in whatever setting. And you know what happens? Sin often blinds us as to how we see God. It's our own fallenness and our own blindness that cannot see clearly that God is Love. That's what the scripture writers tell us. He's love. And then lastly, Jesus reveals our blindness and moves God's heart to open our eyes, sometimes slowly. It doesn't all come at once, but it opens our eyes slowly so that we, like Bartimaeus, can get up and begin to follow a new way. I put it this way, follow a new way of living. So I hope that those two episodes with that double-stuffed Oreo creamy middle will help you in your walk and not, and not get you to the point that you get frustrated and beat yourself up that you're always on the move of seeing things differently than you saw last year or the year before or 10 years ago. That's who we are as human beings. And sometimes it comes slowly and sometimes... It does come in a moment where our eyes are open and you can never, ever 
forget what you have seen. Some people want to just kind of, like those people in the story, push that aside. But you can't undo what you see. Does that make sense? All right. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for these two stories. Thank you for the illustration of Sinead O'Connor and her song, Out of the Depths. Thank you for these moments in life that we have. We get a clearer vision than maybe what we had last year or years before. And when we see, we can jump up like Bartimaeus and begin to rejoice and follow with new vigor. Help us to be able to see the beggars around us and to just be those that will help bring those individuals to Jesus where Jesus does his work. And uh, sometimes that's slowly. Sometimes that's methodically. But sometimes, Father, it's miraculously. And we thank you for those moments. I pray that all of this, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you so much for your attentiveness this morning. I hope you have a great week.